0: Risk has been everywhere these past 16 months. So the question became, how much risk are we willing to take on? I think we all saw the risk charts from safest to to least safe, Uh, taking a walk or hike outside, attending a small outdoor gathering, going to the grocery store or indoor movie theater, eating at a restaurant indoors. Now, depending on several risk factors, there is more or less risk. Uh, Many of us found the level of risk that we were comfortable with, and then we sort of stayed there for the most part we created comfort zones. Uh, Comfort zones are are just basically places that represent safety and security. While creating comfort zones is one normal way to deal with the challenges of these past 16 months, we are slowly coming out of our comfort zones. And maybe some of us are sort of being pushed out of our comfort zones. And for most of us, our response is at least a little bit influenced by how much we, by how rather we view risk. Uh, Some of us consider ourselves risk takers and others not so much more risk-averse people. Uh, Whether we are comfortable with risk or not, we all find ourselves looking at steps that seem like risky business. Steps towards something that feels a little unknown or unsure. Steps towards or into the danger zone. Steps towards something that might have the potential for failure. Now I'm curious, so right now in the chat, Let us know if you lean more to a risk taker or more risk averse we would love to see your answers just which way you lean generally Uh, no one is one way all the time and we're just talking about generally which way do you lean risk taker or risk averse now if i had to take a risk i imagine more people will say they are risk averse Uh, part of my reasoning includes the fact that we are still coming out of the pandemic restrictions protocols masks and on and on and for jesus followers risk and comfort zones can become a problem because of what comfort zones represent and what they replace in our lives. Comfort zones can include people and places that represent safety and security, but they don't always include God. Comfort zones can be things that we are sort of tempted to put our trust in. Uh, That can be relationships, the idea of safety and security, habits, shopping, and on and on. Comfort zones obviously help keep us comfortable, and if we aren't careful keeping us somewhere and keeping us from going where we need to go outside of the comfort zone, Can become a problem now the reason that any of us take any risks at all is because there's a reward on the other side right that's too good to pass up and as we talk about risk there are obviously some risks that are just not worth taking now for me that includes this disclaimer and generally speaking any risk that puts someone else at risk is not something jesus followers should do and many of us sort of look at the potential reward on the other side of risk and we aren't just we aren't really sure if it's worth it Uh, we look for ways to play it safe in fact my generation of parents are probably the most risk averse generation and the safest generation of parents ever but in the same vein you might be able to relate to this that when we do that we we settle a little bit now that can be a harsh word but we settle for sure things things that won't lead to failure Uh, we basically become risk managers so maybe this series is just for me but i imagine for most if not all of us we are constantly examining how much risk we are going to take. Uh, some of us not, might not quite be ready to acknowledge this, but we know that we're going to have to start living with a bit more risk than we have this past year, when most of us were working from home, uh, with school from home, video calls with people when we were willing to, and leaving our home only when required. It felt like we could sort of minimize and customize almost all risk. We could play it safe and stay in our comfort zone. and we we lived like life was predictable because we like it when it's predictable, constant and steady, uh, not anything out of our control. Now, even if you think you are more of a risk taker or a daredevil, there's something inside of all of us that likes control. We like feeling comfortable, even though what feels like comfortable for one person might be uncomfortable for another. And part of the reason that we can be risk averse in certain parts of our life is that we believe that if I risk nothing, I'll lose nothing. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But what also worries me is that for those of us who consider ourselves Jesus followers, I'm afraid that we've taken this one actually a step further. That maybe the reason that some of us are here today is because we think if I'm with the church, then everything will be safe, comfortable, and predictable. And I won't have to do the things that make me nervous. Because somehow I have God on my side. We've bought into a myth that faith is supposed to be safe. So as we start this new series today, I wonder If we would be surprised that maybe God isn't as interested in our safety as we might be. I wonder if any of us have sort of slipped into the goal of faith being elimination of risk. Today we'll look at a story from the life of Jesus that I think gives us a foundation for how to think about risks, opportunities, and steps of faith. Matthew gives us this account as an eyewitness who wrote down his experience with Jesus in one of the four Gospels of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Matthew followed Jesus as one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and Matthew saw and experienced Jesus doing some incredible things. Because of what Matthew saw and experienced, he believed that Jesus really was the Son of God. Now, Matthew didn't read someone else's account about Jesus. Matthew experienced Jesus for himself firsthand, and then he put his faith and trust in Jesus. Now, Matthew knew that not everyone would have the opportunity to witness these things from Jesus but he wanted everyone to place their trust in him, so he wrote this account of what happened so that others could experience Jesus too. Uh, We just finished a series called You're Not Far about how Peter and Mark record Jesus saying the kingdom of God is near and what that actually meant. And while this is a new series today, Matthew also records some teaching from Jesus about what the kingdom of God will be like. The kingdom of God is, is different from the kingdoms of this world and basically involves God's rule and reign on earth including how we should order our lives if god really were our king and jesus begins to teach them about what the kingdom of god would look like using parables in this story today and, and parables are basically made up stories with a point point. and he used these parables to help people understand some of the difficult points of his teaching and matthew records this parable for us today we're going to start in matthew chapter 25 if you, you can follow along in the bible app if you don't have the bible app head to bible.com app once you're in the app head to the more menu option in the bottom right corner, select events and you can find our church. We'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. Matthew chapter 25 beginning in verse 14. Again Jesus said the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. And Jesus again he's been teaching about this so he's again teaching about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God using this parable about a man going on a long trip. And he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip." And the man going on the trip basically sort of divides up his estate, dividing at least some of his wealth to these three servants who he trusted with this responsibility. Now to be clear, this responsibility is to manage the master's resources. This money doesn't become the servant's money. And one bag would equal about 20 years of wages for a day laborer. So even the servant who just got one bag had a huge opportunity with 20 years worth of income to manage. The others got 40 years worth of income and 100 years worth of income. And each one was given the responsibility based on their own ability. And the master gave what he thought was good for them and what each of them could handle. And interestingly, the one who had the most had both the most to lose and the most to gain. Verse 16, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. That this servant basically put the money to work, investing it over some amount of time, and turned turned five bags into 10 bags. He doubled his investment. The servant with the two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. He did the same thing, basically, to to earn the man more money, doubling the amount to four bags. And this is where the risk comes in. Because if you know anything about investing any amount of money, there comes a certain amount of risk. There is no guarantee that you'll get a return on your investment. In fact, you have the risk of losing money depending on the type of investment. And these first two servants took what they had, what they had been given in these opportunities, uh, taking on some of the risk, and they were able to make more out of it verse 18 but the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money this servant did something different right rather than putting the money to work and and taking on some risk he dug a hole in the ground to hide the bag of money and as we'll see he probably thought while I won't gain anything if I hide it on the ground if I risk nothing I'll lose nothing and for some of us that doesn't seem like a terrible idea to keep the money safe the problem is the servant hadn't been given the money to just keep it safe. He hadn't given been given the money to hide it, he had been given an opportunity to do something bigger with it. Verse 19, after a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they used his money. Uh, again, this wasn't the servant's money, this was the master's money that they were managing. And so naturally, after the master returns home, just like you or I would, if you've entrusted someone to watch your house or If you've given someone permission to manage your money, the master wants to know what has happened with the money that he had given them to manage. Verse 20, The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more, and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. So basically, I want to keep you working for me because you are the type of person who I can give more opportunity and responsibility to. I can trust you. Verse 22, the servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I earned two more. Verse 23, the master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together." He says again that he wants to work with this servant to give him more opportunities because he took this small opportunity, apparently this guy has a lot of money, and made it bigger. And this is when the third servant is probably getting nervous as he gets ready to give his report to the master. Verse 24, Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master. I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look here is your money back. But this servant did nothing with the opportunity he had been given. And then he took it a step further and he blamed his inactivity on the master. Now we don't know if he actually believed this about the master or not because the story doesn't seem to tell us, but this servant was more afraid of losing his master's money than he was about taking some risk and doing something with this opportunity and then i need to warn you that this is where the story starts to take a little bit of an uncomfortable turn because the master's response leads to some of the harshest and hardest language you'll hear from jesus verse 26 but the master replied you wicked and lazy servant now pause to contrast that with the other two servants who the master said were good and faithful and this third servant is wicked and lazy. Now it seems like that is probably over-the-top harsh language and partially because we think at least a little bit like this third servant. Well he didn't lose anything so why are you being so hard on him? And what we're about to see is that this third servant actually loses everything he had been given. Verse 26, But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant, and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, Why didn't you deposit my money at least in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. If you really thought I was that type of a person, you should have at least put my money in a savings account so I at least could have some interest on top of the money back. Your fear doesn't seem to line up with what you actually did. And this next part, again, it might be hard to hear and it make you think back about stepping back from this story a little bit. And it's hard to hear, but because it's hard to hear, I wonder, if we should sort of push a little bit and lean into figuring out what Jesus is talking about. Verse 28, Then he ordered, Take the money from the servant and give it to the one with ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they've been given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The distinguishing mark of the first two servants is that no matter the risk, they were willing to invest everything they had been given for their master and for his kingdom. And on the other hand, this third servant set aside or or literally buried in the ground the opportunity he had been given. He was more worried or concerned about his life or his kingdom than he was about what his master was trying to do through him, around him, or because of him. And instead, the servant just sort of hid the opportunity, maybe because he wasn't interested in taking advantage of the opportunity that was right in front of him. But ultimately, the master was angry with the third servant because the servant wasted the opportunity. And in wasting this opportunity, this servant actually lost everything, that somehow this servant convinced himself that if I risk nothing, I'll lose nothing. If I play it safe, I'll be safe. But as this servant learned, when you risk nothing, you lose everything. And this is true for life in general, but it's also true when it comes to faith. Because faith is not necessarily about the reduction or the elimination of risk. And some of the most powerful faith stories of Jesus followers throughout history involve tremendous amounts of risk. From plagues, ravaging villages in the centuries, uh, with the pagans fleeing, while the Jesus followers would go right into the village to take care of the sick and the dying. All the way to this pandemic, with Christian foster parents in the Bay Area, Stepping up to take care of foster kids and bring them into their home when no one really knew for sure how to treat COVID or what worked to prevent it. And not only that, but some of these Christian families took foster kids who tested positive for COVID. They took them into their home. And that kind of faith in the face of risk speaks to the people watching. It encourages those of us who have faith in Jesus and it gets the attention of those who are curious about faith in Jesus. And this parable is a tragedy that explains to us the danger of wasted opportunity. And the master commends the two men who took risk and could see beyond themselves. And the other servant, though, was so focused on himself that he couldn't see this opportunity or take advantage of it. This servant let fear get in the way of him actually doing something. Now, we might be similar in that we want life and faith to be risk-free. That I want to see and know that it's going to succeed before I step out. But faith is a risky business. Faith is sort of wrapped up in risk. And one of the challenging parts from this parable for me is that this third servant couldn't see what the master was trying to do through him. And I hope I don't miss being able to see what God is trying to do through me, even when it involves risk. And I wonder how many of us miss out on incredible opportunities. Opportunities that we might not be able to see, or we just sort of miss because we're so busy playing it safe. We're so busy focusing on our kingdom. We're so busy trying not to fail. Maybe we're just too busy. So here are some questions to consider as we wrap up this first part of this series. What if there's a difference between the safe, predictable, low-risk comfort zone where we try to live and the place that Jesus is trying to move us to? What if we're just hoping to arrive safely at death? Which sort of sounds sort of funny, right? What have you been given with the opportunity to do something bigger? Could you be reconciled to your brother, your sister, your parents, a friend, but it involves the risk of further pain and rejection? Could you help someone know Jesus who is looking for hope, but it involves the risk of being identified as a Jesus follower by your colleagues? What comfort zone are you needing to step out of so that God can use you in the way he created you for? Now while I don't know how this might apply to your life, or what risk that might involve, what I do know is that you can't remove risk from the equation. I don't want you to miss a single opportunity that God wants to hand to you. And I think fear tells us if I risk nothing I'll lose nothing, but Jesus tells us when you risk nothing you lose everything. And ultimately part of the reason risk is connected to faith is that all risk comes down to trust. Do I trust that this skydiving instructor is competent to teach this skydiving class? Do I trust that this food delivery service will not mess with my food? Do I trust that God will be with me no matter what? Do I trust that God will help me when I talk to my friends about Jesus? Do I trust that God will provide for me when I leave lots of money on the table so I can take a different job that God seems to be leading me towards? Ultimately, do I trust God? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the ways that he would teach that really challenge us and push us. And, and many times it's uncomfortable. And this is probably one of those examples that it's just really uncomfortable for us to talk about, particularly for those of us who are risk averse, but really for all of us, because we could easily miss the opportunities that you set before us. We don't see them. Just like the third servant, let fear sort of take control or or let somehow his his aversion to risk just not do anything and literally hide the opportunity. So God, for all of us, would you help us to take a look at how we view risk? Not that we should just haphazardly take risks anywhere, but that God, you would help us to see the risks that we should take. Because faith is not about just being safe. Faith is about following you and putting our trust in you, that you are with us. And even if something happens to us in this life, we know that we have hope for eternity. So God, would you help us to to look at our lives and maybe the areas where we're not willing to take risks and you're really kind of pushing us that way, would you help us to trust you with that? And if there's other things in our lives that maybe there's something in mind that, that we know that we should take this step of faith, but it involves risk that we're just not comfortable with, would you help slowly, gently nudge us in the direction that we should go, that we'd be able to take a step of faith? And help us to trust you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.